0: Hello and welcome, Simon Jacobson here. And we will be speaking about Getting Unstuck. This program is lovingly sponsored by Rene Budager in honor of Rosh Hashanah. We will be celebrating the new year in just a few days, it's coming Sunday night. So it's appropriate to talk about something that is bringing newness and freshness into our lives, and hence the topic of getting stuck or getting unstuck. Every one of us, at one time or another, may feel stuck in our lives and and unable to move forward. And it can manifest in many ways, in very profound ways of feeling paralyzed, feeling resigned, even depressed, hopeless. It can take on different shapes, more subtle forms, where we just feel like we can't move anywhere. Sometimes there's even the cynical attitude that the more that things change, the more they stay the same. we have that attitude, and there are other manifestations that this uh, hopelessness or this uh, sense of stuck can manifest. We can be feeling worn out and aged, not having that energy to really create change. The youthfulness, the idealism, and the list goes on. I'm not gonna go through every variation. Often, inertia, life takes over, becomes a, a process and a commu, accumulation of routines and habits, and, that, and we lose sight of the ability to really create something novel and fresh and innovative. So, the question is what are the reasons that we get stuck? Are there true objective obstacles in our way? Or is it in our minds? There's a line famously attributed to Einstein, some say he never said it, some say he did say it, that a problem can never be solved from the same system that created the problem. So if it's indeed our attitudes, our self-defeating attitudes, that are, part, are the problem, how can we correct that problem? So, this is the theme that we'll be discussing, and of course, it associates with the new year, because the mystics tell us that when Rosh Hashanah, and this is a universal message for the entire world, not just for the Jewish people, for all people, that when Rosh Hashanah comes, the, as the curtain sets, as the, curtain, so the curtain comes down on the previous year, in a way the world goes into a type of spiritual slumber, anticipating, waiting, for its contract to be renewed. In more energy language, energy expires for that year, and it needs to be renewed from its source, like recharged. So what happens is, the new year comes, as exactly like the new year implies, which is also a new moon, a new unprecedented energy that never existed and never will exist enters into our orbit, into our existence. So in essence, if we were able to just tap into that, That would be the key, the key to our ride to freedom, to find new hope, new possibilities. The problem is how do we tap into it and not allow our past baggage, our past despondency, that which weighs us down from the past, to keep haunting us and impeding the flow of this new energy? Which you can really ask all the time because the fact of the matter is on a physical level, life by definition is not static, it's mobile. The heart is constantly beating, contraction, expansion. We're constantly breathing, exhale and inhale. And life, by definition, needs constant renewal. So if you think about it, if life is that way in a physical level, what about spiritual life, psychological life, emotional life? Why is it not constantly being renewed? So the answer has to be because it's, our, it's us. The energy being renewed, just like the heartbeat constantly beats and and the breath brings in a new fresh supply of oxygen. And the heart constantly freshenes new fresh blood as it circulates. It expels the toxins and brings in new blood, blue air, new, new breath, and new blood. So why shouldn't that be also on the spiritual, psychological, and emotional level? The answer is because we become lethargic. So the challenge is not the newness Challenges to experience the newness. And especially when we have attitudes, as I said, that are self-defeating. Attitudes of despair, of hopelessness, of resignation. That doesn't help, obviously, to tap into such energy. It would be like someone giving you a gift, someone bringing you fresh, new furniture, but your home is filled with dust from yesterday. So whatever is new that comes in will also be affected by the old dust. As I said, the solution to a problem cannot come from the problem is because the problem will continue to affect every given situation. So the challenge is how do we tap into that newness, that fresh energy, without getting in the way? That's, of course, the bottom line. So let's take this, a two-fold approach. So it'll be a two-step approach. First, how do we not allow past attitudes and past experiences and routines and habits and all the monotony of pre-existing conditions, so to speak, affect us? And number two, how do we introduce and open ourselves up to newness? You can say it's really the same thing. It's not the same thing necessarily. Because even if you eliminate, hypothetically, all the negative attitudes, you still need to be ready to uh, breathe new fresh air. Many of us have become so, content- so um, uh, what's the word I want to use, so addicted and so um, uh, dependent on our past, that even if, something, even if we could put that aside, someone gives you something fresh, you won't be used to it, and you may be afraid of it. You ever see someone, for example, who's not been breathing healthy air for a long time, and then they come to fresh air, they start coughing because they're so accustomed to that. So it is a a two-pronged approach. One is to free ourselves to some extent from past, and two is to acclimate ourselves and prepare ourselves for new. So psychologically, these are very two different types of objectives, and it's critical to understand them both. In the mystics, in the language of the mystics and the Hasidic masters, they call it tshuva tata and tshuva ilah. Hebrew words that mean literally the lower return and the higher return. Because the word tshuva, some people translate it as repentance, is not really repentance. It means to return, to return to the core who you are. But there's two steps in returning. So just let's take a physical example. You set out on a journey. You know where you're going. You have your map, you have your compass, you have everything. But then, whatever reason, something takes you off course. And you wander off the path towards your destination. doesn't happen immediately. Slowly, you move the drop to the right. A little more, a little more, a little more. Before you know it, or it takes longer time, whatever the time is not the factor here, you suddenly find yourself lost in the woods. Lost in a place you have no idea where you are. And as much as you try to find your way back, you don't have the coordinates, the compass isn't working, whatever it may be. What happens? What do you do? So you have to either find signposts that help you retrace the steps. Or to where you you initially got lost. Or you find your way out, maybe to another direction, but then you ultimately make your way through a detour or twists and turns to your final destination. So to get to, a, to back on course requires, number one, number one, recognizing that you're lost and figuring out how you get back on track. Number two is finding the road to where you need to get to. Now, if you get back on course, that may lead you to the road, but still, you still need to have both elements. So in a sense, when you think of um, return, return to the core who you are, And you've wandered away from that, psychologically or emotionally, to the point you feel lost now. You don't know where to go. So there are two steps to the process. One is not just accepting the fact that you're lost, but actually trying to get get, get out of this place, which means either retracing the steps or finding an alternative route where you need to get to. And secondly, that's in other words, correcting your journey that has now taken a has gone awry, has gone in the wrong direction. And secondly, embracing the path to where you need to get to. Because you could even say, you know what? Let me just get back to where I was and I forget about the destination. I'll just go back. It's not meant to be. So in truth is there's really two steps in any type of situation when one is, has wandered off course or is lost or like we're talking about, elements of stuckness or hopelessness or resignation One is to not allow ourselves to become trapped by their resignation. And number two is to allow ourselves to re-embrace our initial enthusiasm and obviously getting on course to where we need to get to. So in that sense, when we talk about the two levels of tshuva, the two levels of the two steps in the way to get from a place where you are lost to another place, I use the example I used before. Then the first thing is you need to clean up your act. Because you've gotten lost. You can't just ignore that. You want to bring new furniture into a new home. First, you have to clean up the, the room or the home. You, put, you leave all the dust and everything that was there before. Let's say the home burned down, God forbid, or some other factor that made this home uninhabitable. And now you want to bring in new, fresh. First thing is you need to clean it up. Or else the future will be affected by the past. The damages will continue to haunt and impact whatever you do. So that's cleaning up your act. And number 2 is actually a whole new psychology of actually assimilating and integrating a new approach to things, the newness of it, and not to continue to hold on to those old attitudes. Think of it on a personal terms. Let's say you've hurt somebody's feelings or somewhere you've hurt someone. You can go and make believe it never happened and say, "Okay, how are things?" which can only pour salt on the wounds because the wounds are open. Instead of acknowledging, you're making the person feel even worse because you don't even acknowledge that there was pain. That's why there's a concept of forgiveness. We ask for forgiveness. We apologize. We're accountable. Not perfect, but I've talked many times about trust is built not on perfection but on accountability, so we're accountable. We go over to the person and say, you know something? I've been thinking about it. I feel I really have hurt you. And I want to make amends. Now you can make amends and never have a relationship with this person anymore. They may not trust you, you may not trust them, you may not want to, they may not want to. But the amends is step one shuva it's cleaning up the cleaning up the situation. It's like when you bring a, a God forbid, an, a, a bleeding patient, a bleeding victim into an emergency room, the first thing is you gotta stop the bleeding. You gotta like, figure out where the problem is. You can't you can't um, perform any type of actions until you know what the problem is. So the first thing is you have to clean up the dust. You have to clean away the negatives. In this case, asking for forgiveness, making amends, trying to at least get back to a place of neutrality. Then there's step number two, can we build a deeper friendship and relationship? Now when it's really loving people, absolutely. Absolutely. As you know, the, the whole story of this month, coming month, and the month that we're in, 60 days, as I documented in my book, the workbook called 60 Days, A Spiritual Guide to the High Holidays. If you haven't heard about it, you can access it. I find that on Amazon, online, on our, on our site. Every day we send out an email. There's all kinds of ways of subscribing and getting it. So what is the story? The story is of love, betrayal, and rediscovering love, a deeper love. Story of our lives. We begin... Everything is nice and beautiful. Then somewhere, something gets lost, something gets broken, something gets shattered. And then the question is, can we find hope after betrayal? Can we reconcile? Can we rebuild and rebuild even bigger than it was before? That's the whole story. It starts, the Jews leave Egypt, it starts with the Sinai, where they receive, Moses receives the tablets. 49, 39 days later, they build a golden calf. Moses shatters the tablets. He goes to pray and ultimately concludes Yom Kippur when Moses returns with the second tablets and not only gets forgiveness, but he's now received the 13 secret attributes of divine compassion. And the love has become even stronger because a love that has withstood a break and rebuilds after that is a love that is impossible to destroy again. Because it's went through destruction and it gets stronger. That which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So the story then is two steps, it's a two-step process. You could say, why don't we just build out love? No, but there was, there was hurt, there was pain, something happened. So whether it's between one person and another, or between you and God, or between you and yourself, you've betrayed yourself, you can't just say... This doesn't mean we have to dwell and wallow in the pain of the situation, but it also means you can't ignore it because you have to recognize it. It's like in any given situation, I just took from a business point of view. Someone says, I'm opening up a business. You have to first study why did other businesses that opened up to serve the same similar need or same mission, why did they not succeed? Why do you need to know that? Because you don't want to repeat the mistakes. You want to avoid them. You want to make sure they don't happen. And then you build properly. So every growth, true growth, requires looking at the pitfalls. That's why you see in every business plan. There's best case scenario. There's worst case scenario. There are the, 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 the pluses. And there are the challenges or the difficulties. You must know them all if you really want to grow. So in the language back to the mystics, there's the lower tshuva, which is if you've wandered off, you come to a point of hopelessness, of despair, where you feel you're stuck. The first, thing you, the first the step one is figuring out what that stuckness is and doing something about it. And step number two is going to actually bring in fresh air. Now, I will qualify and say there are times You can just like, sometimes you can just bring a massive vacuum cleaner and just suck out the dirt or the dust from a house. Yeah, that's possible, but that's a rare occasion and it's an exception. It's simpler and easier is to slowly clean it out and then you can bring in the fresh. So how does that translate in the language of being stuck and so on? So going back to the theme, to the point rather, that a solution to a problem cannot come from the same place where the problem... How do we deal with that? So there's two key things to remember. One way that we deal with that is using another Talmudic powerful phrase. A person in fetters cannot free themselves. It's somewhat like... I you going to even say it's the source of this expression. If you yourself are bound up in fetters, you're bound up in rope, how are you going to free yourself? You need someone else to throw you a lifeline or to help free you. In the context of psychological language you need some objective perspective. Because you may be looking at everything blindly and whatever caused the problem will continue to cause the problem. You may convince yourself you're not, and you learn from it, but how do you know? Just as you brought the problem in the first place, maybe you'll bring it again. So the first step is knowing that you need some outside help. That can take the shape of a mentor, the shape of a therapist, the shape of a coach, but someone that does not have your subjective experiences where, which can be part of the cause of the problem. And it's up to you to bring that person in. The second thing, which is perhaps even more powerful, but can be facilitated by the mentor that I just described, is that there's always newness happening in your life, whether you know it or not. As I mentioned before, just like your heart beats every moment and it's bringing fresh blood and it's circulating whether you're aware of it or not, and your breath There's also in your psychological, emotional, we'll call it psycho-spiritual makeup, there's constant renewal. There's perpetual renewal. The problem is that renewal is happening in a dimension that you can be completely disconnected or experiencing dissonance. Because the world you live in is about routines and about no renewal, about repeat. That's why you feel stuck. But in truth, when you study and you learn about the nature of the psyche. As we learn about the nature of the cosmos, beneath the surface is constantly brimming new pulsating energy. So you have this situation, like I discussed last week, where beneath the Earth's crust, deep inside the core of the Earth, is filled with tremendous energy and power and heat. But then as we get closer to the surface, the layers cover it up, so you don't see it. The same thing is in the soul. Your soul is filled with new energy. But there's the you, the adult person, that is not aligned with that, as opposed to children, for example, who what you see is what you get. Their active soul, their vibrant soul, is acting out in the way they continuously explore and are constantly energetic, and they never stop. They're relentless. So the two factors, having someone that helps you get beyond your blind spots... And number two, recognizing that you yourself have a new newness. If you bring those two together, you can release this new energy. And you can access it. And both are vital. You cannot just say, since I have it within me, let me access it. The problem is you are the part of the problem. You didn't access it till now. Why would you access it now? On the other hand, if you only had a mentor who gave you a whole new perspective, and yes, gave you hope and optimism and showed you things you didn't know, but you don't have it within you, then you're riding on his fumes or her fumes. You're riding on their optimism and enthusiasm. You want to write on your own. That's why these are both necessary. It's like the behavioral helps you access the inner that is really part of your inherent heritage, inherent makeup. I think about it, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a remarkable concept. Because number one, it means that you have it in you, And number two, you have someone that can help ignite it or help generate it or help access it. And then you're on your own. It's like uh, when a car battery dies. So you could say, you know what, let me just recharge. You can't recharge. You need another battery to recharge it. But what is it recharging? A battery that works. If your battery is completely dead, no recharging would help, even if it helps for a moment. So here the key is to have some outside force that helps ignite, helps generate But it's your flame that is generating. The flame of the divine flame is the soul of a human being. That flame is always alive, the pile of flame. But it's so dead, it's so buried within you, you need an outside flame to get it going. And then what's going is not the outside flame's power, it's only igniting that which was always within you. And that's really a, a powerful formula for everything in life. And we do it all the time when we're not subjective. You have a hire a lawyer, an accountant, a consultant, an advisor. You get another opinion. Why? Because those opinions are giving you a perspective that you yourself may not have. But at the end of the day, it's a perspective that helps you see it clear. And then you have that, that, that formidable combination. So that, in a way, is the two steps necessary. So let's now break it down into the two levels of tshuva now. Number one is being able to acknowledge that there was a mistake. Being able to acknowledge is a blind spot. There's some type of uh, setback. Not to dwell there, not to feel guilty, not to feel defeated, but just to be aware. Sometimes we need an outside person that helps us make us aware of that to the point you realize what the problem is and you don't allow that problem to come in again. You identify it and you make sure to isolate it. You don't make, make sure it does not affect your forward movement. That's a form of tshuva tata, recognizing our iniquities, our errors, our, our, uh, our, our um, flaws, acknowledging it, whether it's yourself, to God, to another person. <coughs> there, we could figure it out on our own, and that would be great. But sometimes it's good to have another party because they may point out things you would not see or help you see even better than you would see on your own. Okay. So in the context of being stuck, here's the thing, and this is the difficulty. Let's say you go and talk to a friend, and they tell you things. In most cases, what happens is, why doesn't it work? Because you're not really going to listen to them. You hear it, and you're even even sincere in wanting to hear their opinion, but often the trap of your own... um, the trap of your own routines and your own blind spots are more powerful. I say this all the time to people who come to me for assistance. And I see their block deeply. And they say, so how do I get out of it? So I said, well, sometimes it's the path of least resistance. If you know there's a problem, and I'm, yes, I'm helping you identify it. But the energy needed to expend and invest in changing is too painful for you or too much. So the pain of staying there, stuck in your place, is less than the pain of creating change. You're going to choose the path of least resistance, which means where you don't so much resistance, yes, change would be great, but bottom line is this is where I'm at, and you don't want to change. If you will feel desperate enough and know that the effort that is needed to change, as how difficult it is, is it's worse to stay in your situation, then there'll be action. I find this in many scenarios. For example, let's talk about relationships. People are dating and they've met many good people and they just can't find the person to commit to. And the clock is ticking, they get older. And I say, so is having a relationship something optional or absolute, absolutely necessary? Are you desperate? People hear the word desperate, they'd run the other way. Not desperate, God forbid, why would you say I'm desperate? I always hear you speak not to be desperate. I said, so it's optional. So some say yes, and some say, well, something in between. What's in between? Desperate is not always a bad word. It's a bad word if you're running from danger, and you're desperate, and you lost your head, and you're just feeling completely um, uh, complete despair, and so on. But there's another desperation. You really want something. So you're desperate first. Like desperate, I must have love in my life. I must have oxygen. But you don't behave like a drowning victim where you begin flailing, your arms and uh, creating more problems than solving them. The Desperation means it's not optional. So whenever I, you push it, someone says, I can't live that way. Because what happens if I never find it? That means I'll, um, if I'm desperate, it means it's not optional. If it's optional, at least, you know what, if I find my soulmate, great. If not, not. But I said, it's always difficult to find someone. And it's always difficult to maintain relationship There's always reasons. So as long as you're not desperate for it, the the path of least resistance will dictate that you'll stay in your situation until you come to recognize you cannot tolerate your situation. And people don't like that. What do you mean I can't tolerate? I want to be able to be somewhat sane. So I'm not suggesting becoming insane. I'm suggesting that it needs to be really compelling because that will be the force that fights the stuckness. So obviously... Having the mentor is necessary. The new energy that's coming in and that's in within you is also necessary. But there's one final step, which is, or maybe not one final, one first step, is your readiness. And that's why something I always resisted, but I realized as I am more experienced in life, there's something to be said for doing something simply because you're told to do it. I always personally was repulsed by that idea. What do you mean I'm told to do it? I don't want to be commanded. I want to figure figure it out. I want to understand the rationale. I want to make sense to me. But then I looked at the most efficient machine in existence. You know what that is? The military. And we should never need it for real, for real, in real time. But what is the military? There's a training, a rigorous training, and you don't have freedom to say whatever you want. You say, where's the democracy? There's a time for everything. But when you're in the military, you enlist in the military, your friends, your colleagues, your superiors, those that, your subordinates, are dependent on you for life and death. There's no time to sit down and say, well, I don't know if this order I received should be followed. That's why the laws are very strict. And you wake up, there's a discipline. And this is what we call kabbalat ol in Hebrew. It means to accept the yoke of heaven. This is what you're obligated to do. But let me explain it in a more appealing way, because nobody likes to hear that. What, am I a slave? What, am I somebody's... uh, Even God, we don't want to hear that but there's something to be said because it makes it not optional. It's like if you're committed completely to something, let's say in business, you sign a contract, or you have a deadline, I can tell you as a writer, as a speaker, no deadlines, I would never end up doing anything. It all still, oh, I have more time, more time. Who want? but who loves deadlines? Everyone hates deadlines. But the deadline is what creates the compelling sense of urgency, it must get done. And there's no excuses. It's actually the best antidote to procrastination to delay, and to being stuck. So I know it's not popular to tell somebody, listen, this is not, a, this is not an option. I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. you got to get out of your little solitude, your dark place, and come with me to a party. Come to me in a minute. I'm not in the mood. I'll be in the mood, I'll go with you. But that's precisely the point. Your mood is part of your problem. And the problems are never solved by the, by the situation that caused the problem. So there's much to be said about following orders. Now you'll say, who do I follow? I could get myself into trouble. Obviously, you have to follow trust a trustworthy person. They have to prove themselves. It may take time. But once you do, you don't want to have options. So it's more than just a mentor and a guide and a coach. <clears throat> it's actually someone who can tell you, I love you. I'm your friend. You have to get out of this situation. A new year is coming. You must do something new. So that type of, what's called, um, I guess, aggression. I don't like that word actually. It's not a good word. That type of relentlessness, relentless pursuit. That you must get something done. You know, that's why you find in Jewish thought, Shabbos is coming. It's not optional. You have to do it. Rosh Hashanah is coming. So in a world like ours, when you people don't have personal relevance, they say, Why do I have to do it? Who needs it? But if you can appreciate what it does for you. And then you have the additional element, this is a command, this is something you must do, it's a mitzvah, you have to do it. That can be the factor that pushes you from your path of least resistance of being stuck to a path of getting out of being stuck. So really I introduce now a third thing, something that pushes you, that compels you to make a move. The mentor provides the objectivity and the perspective. And then, of course, the third component is that you have it within you. You're just not aware of it yet. That's the most beautiful part. Because once you force yourself, so to speak, or you're forced to, or compelled to, then suddenly that energy begins to flow. And you realize that's always, what, it's always something I always wanted. I just was not aware, or I was afraid, or I thought that it's too difficult. I gave up. So in a way, this concept of freedom, that we can do whatever we want, can also work against us. Because then, you know what? There's always tomorrow. There's other options. Maybe yeah, maybe not. In the Hasidic discourses then analyze Rosh Hashanah, there's that concept. Accept, and you see it in all the prayers. A very strange concept. As I said, always bothered me. We accept the, sovereign, the sovereignty of God as king. Now, we know kings don't leave us uh, with a good taste in our mouths. Kings, monarchs, were abusive, despots, brutal at times. They controlled monarchs. Once in a while, they may have been the compassionate, benevolent despot, but usually not necessarily. So we don't appreciate King. King Washington, I'm sorry, (laughs) President Washington refused adamantly to be a king because he had seen the dangers of King George in England and other kings, one person wielding so much power. So we are repulsed and abhor the concept of an authority. But there's something to be said about a healthy authority, a healthy king. We don't have it today. But the idea of a healthy authority of force, a voice, I should say, a moral authoritative voice that says this is the way it is. Number one, it gives us clarity and not ambiguity. Number two, it pushes us to commit to it. So today, obviously, we can't impose that. On others, but we can impose it on ourselves. So comes Rosh Hashanah, yes, there's an obligation, an obligation to answer to higher authority. You were created. You were put on this earth with a purpose. Are you living up to your calling? You say, what's your business? Why are you asking me that question? It's not your business. It's not in my business, but you have to ask that question. And you have to bring in friends and trustworthy people to help you ask that question. Are you living up to your calling? And it's not an option because life is predicated on it. The whole life you were given is to fulfill that mission. And if you're not, what are you doing? So I would say in that sense the context is there must be something you must be doing, not optional. You say, why could it be a must? Why can't I just embrace it as I see fit? Because you'll then procrastinate. And all your negative stuff that is not feeling hopeful, your resignation, your stuckness and all that, is going to come into the, in play. And what's going to counter that? So at the end of the day, we need the three components. We need the, that push, that authority, that element of non-optional. We need the mentor to help us define and clarify. <clears throat> and then finally, all that accesses the energy within you that's just trapped and seems like it's dormant when it's really very active. And we need the two steps. The tshuva tata is the lower step is cleaning up your act looking at things that you're doing that may not be very helpful or productive. You may be doing it right now. Even as you've made the determination you want change, you may be right now feeding toxins into your own being. So as much as you want change, on the other end, you yourself are feeding the... It's like someone's looking for clean water, and then they find out that they themselves are contaminating the water all the time. We may think it's coming from outside. It may be us, our attitudes. So that's the first thing you have to clean then you come to the next point, which brings me to the energy itself, the new energy, the chuvay Law, which is now not about cleaning up. Now it emerges. That third point I made, what emerges, a connection, a deeper connection. And when that takes place, that resonates, and you feel it in every, in your fi, every fiber and in your being. The idea that you are energetic, vibrant, there's always hope. Every day brings new opportunities, new possibilities. All those that have the sparkle in the eye have access to that, compo- that part of it. But as I said, you also need to deal with the first because if the first is not dealt with, it will not allow the second, this new energy, to emerge. Now, this does not have to be perfect. You don't have to finish the whole tshuva tata, the lower, before you get to the higher, but you need to do something. You need to cut away some dust. And as you do, the freshness can enter. If you're breathing toxins... Almost hundred percent. Where's there room for freshness? Your cup is filled with polluted water. There's no room. You have to spill out some of it. And then you pour and it gets a little diluted and the clean takes over. You pour a little more, a little more, till you can finally replace the polluted with the clean, the filtered, the healthy. The same thing psychologically and emotionally. We have tremendous powerful energy within us waiting to be released. The trap is our routines, is our habits, things that happen to us in life that caused us to withdraw, caused us to curl up, caused us to not actualize. The list goes on. That must be addressed to some extent. And then comes that powerful surge of something that you are entitled to having a dynamic life. As a child, you were running around and exploring, and there was nothing that's holding you back. And if, God forbid, a person as a child did not have that, that was itself robbed from them, that's even a bigger tragedy. But regardless, even everyone has that. Whatever age it ended up started eroding or started to being less accessible makes it more difficult, but doesn't mean it cannot be accessed. So which leads me to the part of the mentor that helps you focus on the blind spots and see what you can go beyond. But then there's another focusing on your strengths. You may not always know what they are. An outside person, friend, can recognize them. And they help you encourage to be involved in them. Every minute you invest in building, in bringing out the light and the talents that you have, is one less minute involved in fighting the demons. So we have here a series of tools that can help us. As we enter this new year and the new year presents an pre- unprecedented energy, as I said, that never was and never will be, that energy is going to enter into existence Sunday night no matter what. The question is how much will we be able to benefit from it. Think of it like sunlight shining in through your window, but you're asleep. Or you don't know what to do. You have no uh, sun, uh, what do they call them today, the, the sun sh- the, the, uh, that absorbs solar energy, solar panels. If you don't have a solar panel, the sun will shine on your roof, and that's that. But if you create a solar panel, you create a container that can tap into the energy, this new energy, that changes everything. How do you create containers? So first, is a resolution. You create accountability, clean up as much as you can. And two, I'm ready for something new. I'm committed to something new. I'll begin studying something new. I'll begin new prayer. I'll begin new levels of charity. So you do both, on both ends of it. You make those commitments and you stick to them. Because they become the panels, the solar panels, to draw in and absorb that new energy that will enter into our stratosphere one way or another. But will you benefit from them? And that we have the power to do. And with a mentor, with an objective mentor or code, they can help us expedite, help expedite the process, help us avoid certain blind spots that we may think we're married to and think there's no, that's a great part of ourselves. Be open to hearing. If you're not open to hearing, you yourself will become part of the problem. And recognize and study about the pureness of your, who you are. The Heshen Nesate The soul that you've given me is pure. You have a pure soul within you. You have pure energy. Energy that's been unpolluted. An energy that can access the unprecedented energy of the new year and draw it into your life. And that energy is brimming with possibilities, with opportunities, with hope, with optimism. Being around people that are that way obviously is a tremendous plus as well. Being around people who keep telling you you're worthless, you can't do, I can't do, no one can do, we're all miserable, what does that do? It feeds the base, your most base instincts. Sona says, we can do it. Let's do it together. Let's join up. Even if it may be sometimes a little wishful, meaning sometimes a little fantasy, but it's better to think like that than the other way around, the realistic one, quote unquote. Because that enthusiasm itself is empowering and makes us healthier human beings. So getting unstuck requires all these steps, understanding what you're stuck in and why you're stuck there and how do you free yourself a bit using uh, objective advisors that can help us get there. And number two is introducing really new stuff. And in many ways, the holiday season is structured around that. First, confessing, acknowledging accountability. And second, here are the new things I want in my life. So as we go into the new year, think about it. Think about, firstly, the accountability of things that could be corrected. And number two, what what are you dreaming of? What do you want? What What are you aspiring to? Articulate it. Even write it down before the holiday. And pray for it. Believe that it's possible. This in some ways, my friends, is distilling a lot of information. There's a lot more on this topic when you go through 60 days, the workbook every day covers this in some way. But also other materials you can find on our website, MeaningfulLife.com. The point being is we have everything at our disposal. We just need to make the effort. We need to bring it together to discover that flame that's burning inside you, that eternal flame, to find it through the help of mentors, friends, to recognize the need to have something that's authoritative that tells you you must do it. And the process of the two-step prong process, the two-tier process, cleaning up and bringing in the fresh. And they can be done, you don't have to have it all cleaned up, but these two can constantly be reviewed so as we conclude the new year the hebrew new year and next class will be wednesday after rosh Hashanah, i want to wish all of you a very blessed new year to be written and sealed in the book of life a year blessed with children and grandchildren and health and abundance in our livelihood and expansiveness in all these areas all these designated in the new rosh hashanah the new year and like the word Rosh Hashanah, you ever think why it's called Rosh? The head of the year, not just the beginning of the year? Because like a head, the head is the central nervous system, the central engine room, control center of the entire body. So Rosh Hashanah is also that. It's a control center. So the resolutions and the things we do in Rosh Hashanah, like it's like working on the head, will then spill into the rest of the body, all the limbs of the body, meaning all the years, all the days of the year. Take on new resolutions in good things, in studying about yourself, about God, about the purpose of life, in praying and moting to the higher presence in our lives, and actions, actions, to bring it all into action. You introduce new things in those areas, the new energy that's within you, and that is renewed on Rosh Hashanah in a completely unprecedented way, will begin to manifest. And you don't have to always wait till it's all cleaned up. I gave the comprehensive way of doing it. That's always best. But whatever you can do in any of these regards is vital. A little accountability, a little fresh commitments. And you'll be surprised how quickly you can introduce a whole new way of life because you're doing this deliberately, conscientiously, and thinking about it. It's not just happening. That has tremendous power. So everyone be blessed with this year. Very blessed here. you. It's an honor, as always, to speak to you, to teach, to communicate, to commune, to collaborate. And I welcome all your comments and questions and suggestions and rebuttals. This is a synergy. Greatest gift is to be able to be part of the synergy of the life story, our, our narrative that we all relate. And then we, and we intersect. We become part of each other's narrative. It's beautiful. I become part of your story, you become part of my story. That cross-pollination is tremendous synergetic power. As I said, it helps each other, and we help each other. And and, and, and it's greater than the sum of the parts. Because when two people lift something, they can lift more than the total of each one separately. One person can lift 100 pounds, the other one 200 pounds, together they lift more than 200 pounds. Because there's some invisible synergy that happens when we join. And that's what we do now. We join together. Like we read in the verse in the Bible, and the, the Torah this week, Atam Miami. Miami. You stand. You stand upright like a king and proud. All of you together, from the leaders to the water carriers and woodchoppers, all stand as one on Rosh Hashanah, Hayayim, which is refers to Rosh Hashanah today. It's a uniting force that creates harmony within diversity, we each complement each other and we each have something to contribute. Everyone be blessed to fulfill your calling in all these ways possible. Get yourself unstuck. The time has finally come and to reach new heights, climb new, get, get, reach new heights, conquer new horizons. Unprecedented ones. With all the blessings of this year. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a very good, happy new year.